Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Movie Geeks United. When we first started this show in 2007, we immediately gained a small but loyal following, and one of the most vocal of our early supporters was a great guy by the name of Joel Valley, a supremely talented young director who was just venturing to make his first feature film in his native Mexico, Corazon de Campion. It's been a long road, but his follow-up feature is finally available on DVD and across all VOD platforms. It's called Beautiful Prison, and it is a stunner, wildly imaginative, beautifully shot, and ambitious in its construction and shiftings of genre. Beautiful Prison is the ultimate movie for people who love movies. I had a chance to catch up with Joel and chat about his new film recently, and he was joined by one of the film's co-writers, co-producers, and its editor, Eric Mishila, who, as it turns out, is also a longtime fan of Movie Geeks United. The resulting conversation contains some of the most valuable advice for young, independent filmmakers that we've ever had the honor of featuring on our show. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Joel Valley. I'm the co-writer and uh, director of Beautiful Prison, which is out right now. And I'm Eric Mishila. I produced Beautiful Prison with Joel, helped with the story, co-wrote a bit. Yeah, the movie's available on pretty much all on-demand platforms at this point. We can't take care of him our whole lives. We need to put him in a place where he can be managed. <laughs> managed? Yeah, where he can be looked after and be with other people like him. He's not like other people. He, he wasn't always like this, and you know that. I'm sorry. I just... I'd rather he move into the house with us and put him into some godforsaken institution. No! No! Oh my god! Oh my god! When did things start getting weird? I watched a cut of this uh, maybe maybe three and a half years ago. Does that sound right? Like sounds about right. <laughs> it was... oh, yep. And I was I was stunned by the quality of it. And I went back and I watched it again this past week in in this newest uh, uh, version that you guys sent me that's available to the public now. And I got to tell you, we kind of complain all the time about movies being um, the same old, same old, and mm-hmm. independent movies, particularly, you know, independent movies are the ones you look to for unique original voices. And more right. and more, they're copycats of the majors, and the majors are copycats of themselves. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of blandness out there. But your movie is alive in a way. It is so exciting. It's joyous. It's funny. It's horrific. It's dramatic. I mean, it's everything, and it, and it doesn't feel – this is what I appreciate most about it. It doesn't feel like you're imposing all of these different elements on material. It feels like all of these different elements are, are coming organically from the material. Do you, do you understand what, that, what I'm saying? Yeah, when, when I met Joel – gosh, Joel, we met in 2007 on a short film – that I was directing and Joel came on to do our blood effects (laughs) actually. (laughs) And when we went out and he told me about this movie, it was just sounded like the most absurd, bizarre sort of movie that I'd ever heard of. 
And but the thing about it that struck me even more was that I realized looking in his eyes that he was going to do that movie no matter what, you know. And a lot of people say, like, I'm going to make my movie, I'm going to make my movie. And you just know and feel like they're not going to make their movie. But the passion behind this insane genre-blending, you know, uh, adventure film, like, I don't know, when you, when you saw Joel, you just knew first on that it was going to be made, you know. And that, that yeah. sort of passion, I think that's what you're talking about when you feel the joy in the film. Because you're feeling like Joel's joy in being a filmmaker. I mean, Joel is in his 30s, but he's still nine years old as far as, like, his mind goes. And it, that, <laughs> in a really respectful, in a, no, in a respectful <laughs> way, because that's sort of, it's sort of, you have to be childlike to be able to bring people into, like, this other world of, like, joy. Another thought that occurred to me, I, I mean, uh, watching kind of from the sidelines this long journey that you've been on with this film, and I still feel that passion by watching in watching your movie, what was it about this particular story or project that kept that passion going for so many years? Yeah, you know the movie definitely. When you're doing a low budget movie, your movie becomes the like the movie that everyone works on when they're not working on a real movie type of thing. And so I just <laughs> I really had to because you know a lot of favors were called in, and it's like. I can't tell you what we made it for, but if I ever told when I, when it does finally come out the budget, people are gonna lose their minds. You know, it's made, what it's we were made able, for less than like short films, almost. Yes, like it's crazy. Mm. Yeah, and it's calling all the favors together and just like getting people um, hooked on this vision that this, this that I had, and you know, mixing up the genres and everything. I think it was something because when I would give people the script, they would all go, "Well, I've never seen this movie before." And I think that's the key to keeping it alive is I want to see this movie just like everyone else wants to see this movie that worked on it, you yeah. know? And uh, when, when you're calling favors and stuff, yeah, you got to make sure you get the, you get to the end, you get to the finish line uh, because you know, I've, I, I made promises to people and I want to make something that all of us can be proud of. And as far as I know, everyone that worked on this movie is definitely very proud of it. Like uh-huh. Jamie, this uh, it took a year to sound mix this movie because we we paid the guy literally like you know crackers and cheese, and so he would do it. <laughs> and he's a professional sound mixer, so he would do it in his spare time. And that <laughs> it ended up taking a year to sound mix a movie, and it's just proof of like how resilient you have to be to stick with it and keep the energy going because it's really hard the further away you get from production, that final production date, that wrap date. Oh well, yeah, you can talk to this, Eric. Um, you know, this is a really ambitious movie and you're shooting it on a shoestring, as you guys have said. So, I, I mean, Joel can imagine it, but, but you're part of the team that tries to determine whether or not you can practically do it. Uh, so I, I, tell me about that process of finding inventive ways to, to make this ambitious movie a reality. It could be a bit of a long story, actually, but like when I met Joel, like I said, his passion, it was obvious he was going to make this movie. And I had that thing where I just said to him, like, if you get the money, like, because we own all the equipment and the lights and everything. I was like, if you, and he was living in Mexico at the time. I'm up in Michigan at the time. I'm like, if you get the money, like, let's call me and we'll do it. And it's one of those things, like, where you kind of leave it open ended, thinking, like, if he doesn't get the money, then I was a good guy and I promised something. <laughs> but if he, if he gets it, then I, we get to make a movie, 
you know. So that was just the, the start of it. One of the hardest things, as you can imagine, with independent filmmaking is just getting the money. It's one of the most difficult things that filmmakers deal with is like being able to secure the funds. And even though we made this movie for like literally nothing, it's still a lot of money to someone, you know. Um, and so when I read this script the first time, I remember saying to Joel, like, I don't know if you remember this, Joel, but I was like, who is this for? Because it's the most original, like, I hadn't ever read anything like it. I'm just like, what, who, who, who's this for? And he was like, he's like, are you kidding me? I'd love this movie. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I, and I, and I feel like that was just sort of the start of even like starting the producing for it. But when we got there and um, started to make it happen, like, you basically have to call in again. It just goes back to the favors, Jamie. Like Joel is really was really 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 well respected in the town he was living in in Mexico where we shot this. And um, to to make a movie like this happen, you need to just basically pray. I don't know. Like you need to like it's what it takes. Like you need a lot of miracles to come through the door because um, it's just it, we got like free lodging, for example. We we shot every one of our locations was free. Um, we got food at cost, and a restaurant catered us every single day, twice a day. It, it, you have to be you have to be a bit insane. You have to be irrational, and I think that's why a lot of movies aren't made is because people are rational and pragmatic enough to say, I shouldn't do this because it's going to take the next two and a half, three years of my life, and and. I mean, you have to have just a full-on calling, passion, drive, head down, go forward. Let me just say too, uh, I'm just crazy, Jamie. Like, I'm just, I'm out there, you know. So, <laughs> there's got to be a, there. There had to be a, a lot of trust on Eric's part, especially when he's like, you know, we're, we're filming an airport scene with airplanes in the background and stuff, and he's like, uh, "Are you gonna be able to get to the airport?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have it done by Wednesday," you know, and. And I do. I get it done, you know. And it just—I think there's a lot of like Eric just going. Well, everything he said it would happen has happened so far, you know. And it was crazy. We all had to like wear multiple hats in this thing. I remember like we'd get done shooting at like, you know, midnight one in the morning, and we'd be at the restaurant where we were eating at, because all restaurants stay open really late in Mexico. And I I just whisper over to Eric, I gotta go, I gotta hook up tomorrow's location. <laughs> you know? And and it's that craziness that gets it done. You know, that like you said, you just can't it, it, I don't know, you almost gotta throw um rationality out the window, you know. I mean I'd wake up at seven thirty in the morning and the fir- before I went to set, I'd run to the grocery store with my broken Spanish and I was the caterer. Like I pick up that day's catering, and I'm producing and pulling focus, and sometimes holding boom. Like that—that's just what you do to make these independent movies happen. Because you have to be, your passion has to outweigh everything. That's why I always tell kids when they want to like tell me they want to make movies. I always just say I wouldn't recommend it, you know, because you have to be—you have to be a bit insane. So a big part of making a movie. Uh, and you guys are speaking to this, is building a community uh, all, all geared towards achieving one goal. And I think a, a major part of what has to be important for you as a director is to infect everyone else with your with your passion and your joy for this particular project. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, it was never from the beginning, from day one on our set, I made it totally clear that this is not my movie. This is our movie. And that's always, that, that, I think that made the key difference because I'm like, listen, um, this is your stuff. If this does well, and we gave people points in the movie, and, and everyone has ownership of this thing, you know? Our, our crew not, is also just like nine people. It should be noted. Like we, we, it was a, it was a large Catholic family basically is what it was making a movie, you know? Yeah. And then, but once you present it like that, you know, and, 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 and it's sincere, like, this is not my movie. This is our movie now. And everyone has, and everyone kind of comes on board like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I would, I let my sound guy call cut. Who does that? What director does that? I let my sound guy call cut if something happens in the audio. You know, mm. and that's just that's craziness. But it's like, listen, you know, and his, his name is Michael Amon. And I said, hey, if you hear anything that you don't like, man, cut it and we'll we'll we'll, we'll start again. You know, probably not the best method, you know, and, <laughs> you know, but that's the stuff I want. That's stuff I, I, I wanted to the crew to know that, hey, this is our movie. I'm always I'm always directing the ship, you know, and I'm always, you know. Uh, the, the one leading the way, but I want—I was taking input all the time from everyone, whether it was actor, uh, every actors, uh, sound people, whatever it was, you know, because I knew that this is their movie too, and I think that helps to ignite that passion in everyone else. Yeah. So also, you didn't want to—you didn't want to get into—you uh, didn't want to get into directing so you could be a dictator. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I don't want to describe too much about this movie because it's a movie that just you need to discover and go on this ride. And there's so many surprises along the way. I don't want to ruin anything for people. But when people ask you for a very basic premise of the movie, what do you tell them? Um, well, I tell them it's about a kid who's, who's mentally handicapped um, since he was young and then one day after a car accident, he regains um, his abilities to not only be normal, but above that, where he's like almost genius-like, and he can move things with his mind and stuff. And I said, and that's, and then the story goes from there. Because you're right, it's such a hard movie uh, to to explain without spoiling it. Because when when you get to halfway in that movie, or even though when you get to Act Two, and and then some every time. It's just like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Wow, I didn't see that coming. And some people go, man, halfway through your movie, that could have been a movie in itself. And and I would have been satisfied. But you just kept going and you just kept going. And so it's really hard to uh, describe. Even on the DVD, if people buy the DVD, I would say don't even read the description because it, there's spoilers in the description because it's so hard. How do you sell this movie without giving some of the stuff away? And it's going to be a battle for any filmmaker. And I would just suggest know how you're going to sell this movie. Because this movie is like one of a kind, that's for sure, and and luckily it did find its audience and it's finding its audience. Uh, but it's been, you know, it, it's tough to try to describe this movie to people yeah, without, really, like really, you said. We, we really uh, have to thank our sales agent distributor that they saw something in this and trusted that there was a big enough audience that might be interested in this really really original take on, on movie movie telling and. And to be honest, too, we've had a lot of people who just 
when we did our when we do our screenings and stuff, I did a screening in Santa Monica during like the American Film Market when we were looking for buyers, and um, half the audience loved it, and half of them just didn't get it. Like they'd never seen anything like it. And I, we would rather be original and try something that people don't like than just fall into the kind of tropes that are happening with all these sort of films, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like I think that a lot of people are so used to seeing a certain kind of movie uh, mm-hmm. of being fed yeah. just a, a, a very specific diet that they're not used to eating anything else or watching anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't know how to react to it. I would think that this would be one of the biggest challenges of this movie because you have so many tones, so many kind of genres at play here. It's like this big stew. In editing, was it a challenge to kind of time those so that they they didn't turn too quickly. Did you did you consider? No, this is too quick. The audience isn't going to be acclimated to this this um, the romance because they just got done with the horror. Was that a concern for you? Go ahead, Eric. Well, yeah, because I ended up editing the movie primarily. Um, again, did we mention we're low budget? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, like we did the assembly edit on this film pretty quickly. Um, and part of that is because our shooting ratio was really tight. And part of the reason that shooting ratio is so tight is because we obviously shot quickly and did few takes on everything. And so when I was kind of pacing it out, I didn't, to be honest, Jamie, I didn't, we didn't really, I don't think we were that concerned about when things changed. Like in the middle of the film, there's a random Kung Fu scene, right? Mm. (laughs) And, um, that was just on the paper. Like while I was doing the assembly edit, I trusted the script that Joel had and basically just cut the film together and used music sort of to help the audience know when we're transitioning. So the music mm-hmm. is sort of the vehicle to help people know we're turning into horror now, we're going to romance, we're going back to horror, etc. Music was really the thing that helped move the pace, I would say. But as well, let me just add... Jamie, and this is why the script process is so important because we spent a lot of time on that timing in the script. So it's mm-hmm. already like timed out for us on paper. Like, no, we can't do that right now. It's just too soon. Like all these questions are answered way before we ever hit set. Like the script's solid, ready to go before we hit the set, you know, and that helps out big time in the editing process. Yeah, we, we would. I would jump in a coffee shop Saturday mornings. I remember when Joel was living in Mexico, and we would just spend eight hours on like Skype, doing screen sharing mm-hmm. and writing, you know. And then we would talk about those things. And basically, are people going to be ready for this? Are they going to be ready for that? And uh, it just kind of evolved into what it became. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, there's two. Uh, segments in the movie like two shots that i couldn't i could not stop laughing and i I remember i had the same reaction the first time i watched it there is the kung fu sequence that you just mentioned yeah and that and that final (laughs) kind of punch when he's when he's wooing the girl that i i just died and and when they're and when they're sitting together on a on a wall or a bridge or something and then the camera pans out, and you see like a like a guitar player like standing right yeah, behind them. The mariachi. The mariachi. Yes. We, oh my God, it was hysterical. Oh, that's so funny you mentioned that, Jamie, because we we went out and just started 
filming them because it's a, it's their little you know ro- classic romantic montage, which is obviously meant to be almost like a dream, like a tropey dream for the guy because we we found the most generic sort of what would you want in your romantic dream? You know what I mean? And um, that mariachi guy was there, and Joel, I think I think he just went up to him and like gave him a couple pesos and just put him in the shot, and he just started playing a bassame mucho, which you know kiss me a lot, which is what that means. And uh, he was awesome, man. He's so fun. Also, yeah. oh, I, it should be noted. Funny. This is just this is just good uh, behind the scenes stuff. But um, the lead actor and actress, um, Kaylin and Layla, are their names. That was the moment, Joel, where I realized that they were falling in love with each other. And uh, there was some whisperings on set that there was some hijinks going on off set between those two. And to this day, right now, they are now married and have a child because we made this wow. movie. Cast. Yeah, I know. But it was during that little mariachi scene where they couldn't stop like kissing each other. And I'm like, they're not acting anymore. Like They're actually like falling in love with each other. <laughs> So we yeah. said we might not make a dollar on this movie, but we made a baby. That's what we said. <laughs> uh, a lot of those things that you see, like um, with uh, with that punch and the kung fu scene and all that, obviously I'm taking it from Army of Darkness. It's taking it from Bruce Lee or whatever. But it's it's all there's so many of these little um, nods to different films, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and that's why I think. Um, you know, it's like people who love it are the people who love film, you know. That's why, like, Famous Monsters yeah. magazine loved it. Uh, Ain't It Cool News loved it. These these people who actually really love films, such as yourself, love this movie because it's it's uh, it kicks back to so many movies that we love, you know, mm-hmm. in different genres of film. We we always said we're that, cinephiles. Yeah, you know, we're cinephiles making the movie for cinephiles. You know, the movie's not for trolls in a sense. It's for people who just can like sit back and enjoy like the joy of filmmaking. When you're working with your DP, uh, which the photography is just stunning in this movie, um, are when you're trying to plot out visually these different genres and these different elements, are, are you going? through specific frames of other movies that you want to reference? Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. When the, when the DP got hired on, I'm like, I'm giving him, here, watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, the original. Watch this, watch this, you know. Um, shout out, shout out the, to Chad, Chad Terpstra, the, the, Chad the Terpstra DP. Who shot, who shot it. And we shot it all on, like, the red with, Cinema lenses. It's beautiful. It's beautifully shot movie. You know, he was uh, nominated for best cinematography and won award show. I can't remember now. But anyway, <laughs> so, uh, just yeah, you know, there were different, de- definitely a lot of, of influence and things. And also uh-huh. the demon, the demon lady, the fight that turns into the demon lady in the kitchen. Joel yeah. basically made the person who played the demon lady um, watch like Evil Dead, right? Dawn. Yeah, all the all the Romero movies, like to get like the crazy zombie demon down. You know, it was really yeah. fun to watch her, kind of, you know, capture that that demon essence from just watch like kind of in a sense mimicking the greatest movies ever. You know, in 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 this genre. Well, here's an, here's well, another thing. Uh, I mean, your cast is so great, and watching the behind the scenes uh, segment on the DVD, which I also want to mm-hmm. ask you about. 
Um, yeah. But watching that, watching that uh, behind-the-scenes special, which is almost as long as the movie itself, you get yeah. the sense that everyone just enjoys one another. So when you're building a company of crew and actors, individually they have to be right for the part, but they also have to interact well with each other. So what's the process by which you ensure that they get along? You know, I think it was just timing and, and everyone who uh, coming together at the right time. I don't know if it's anything more than that because of, uh, you know, we had a hogfly who does, who they were just getting off a grindhouse and machete, you know, um, they're, they're, there. They're Robert, they're, yeah, they're uh, Rodriguez's uh, visual effects, like physical visual effects team for makeup out of Austin. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. amazing. And so they're, they're, they come on as a makeup team and they're kind of like the only people I don't have really, like I ha- I didn't know very well. And they did it for like a tenth of the cost because they loved the script so much. And it was just, you know, but when they came down and we all have this love for horror, like I'm a huge horror buff, you know? So like I can finally start quoting a Dario Argento lines to someone that will understand what I'm talking about. And it's all these, it's mm. just this mixture of like all these film fans. That's what it is. Just all these people love film. Everyone that was there loved film and wanted to do something great. And even though there was a language barrier, because we have half the crew Mexican, half the crew uh, American, you know, we shot in two different countries. So sometimes we'd be like, what did he say? What did he say? But we would all laugh when something happened and something was funny, you know. And it was just, I don't know, it was a great mixture. I don't know how it happened. Uh, well, I, I have worked on, I don't know, a dozen movies or so in a lot of capacities, everything from like behind the scenes to camera operator to writer, director, producer, right? And I know from being on a couple of sets that weren't going very well that you could have 43 people on a movie crew, and if one of them or two of them are rotten eggs going around like leaving that sulfur smell, it really gets everybody like waving their nose and realizing like something stinks here. And um, when we ca- when we kind of crewed up on this thing, I just knew all these people. And Joel, like I brought the Americans and Joel brought the Mexican crew and we knew the character of the people and we were crewing up on character more than, more than talent even. And when somebody like our guy named, a guy named uh, Carlos, who we called Charlie, cause we had four Carloses on set. Uh, Charlie <laughs> was uh, our boom operator. When somebody like that comes out and says, I will work on your movie for, you know, basically free for a month and um, when somebody has that sort of character that just wants to be a part of something, they just bring a joy that infects the, mm-hmm. infects the crew. In fact, when I think about this crew, the thing I think about more than anything else is like not being cheesy, but I just think about like laughing. I, I remember sitting up on the rooftops of buildings in Mexico having lunch and just laughing with people. And it was just, that was kind of the, the vibe. I mean, we shot this movie over 25 days, which is also pretty crazy when you, when you think about the budget and how, much, how many favors we got. Because um, you look at movies like this, usually they're shot in 13, 14, 15 days, you know. And we had 25 days of production. So we weren't rushed, and that was part of it too. Like nobody was going crazy and yelling at each other because we were going to miss the day. Like, we had the luxury of setting ourselves up to be successful by only having to do 20 shots a day. 
instead of mm-hmm. 40 or 50, which is what a lot of indies rush to do, right? And I think that all comes across on the DVD. That's why I encourage people, man, you should buy the DVD on Amazon, you know, because the behind the scenes, I mean, I even I don't even know if Eric knows this, but I made a drinking game out of the behind the scenes, you know, <laughs> where, every time, know <laughs> where every time he comes on set, you got to take a drink. And you'll know it when you watch it, you know. And it's just every really fun. Every time who fun. comes on set, dude? Every time who? Every time you come on set. I made a drink. Oh, oh, every time I come on set. All right. <laughs> People should buy I mean, you can get you. I encourage everyone to watch the movie any platform that's most convenient for you. But you mm-hmm. should seriously consider buying the DVD, if for no other reason for that behind the scenes. Because I love... Uh, behind the scenes that are 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 more than just talking heads telling you things yeah. you already know from watching the movie. I want the experience of knowing what it was like making the movie, and that's what's so great about this behind the scenes. It, it seems like you put a lot of care into actually just putting that to get, together. Yeah, I just wanted it to be fun, you know. I mean, I even, like, in the beginning... You know, I'm joking around, and I'm like, and, I, you know, I understand there's filmmakers out there that are like, man, I don't even know how to get this thing started. And I even tell them, here's my address. Here's my email address. You know, shoot me a question, you know, because yeah. I've done it a couple times now. And so, <laughs> you know, I wanted, I wanted to make a behind-the-scenes for filmmakers and not so much for, like, a, a typical audience, you know. But as well, you know, if you want to get drunk, too, it's there. <laughs> so uh, this is the question I, I wanted to ask um, between your first movie uh, Corazon de Campion um, right. oh, work. And, work, this, and this one how do you think you matured from your first movie that proved most useful for you in the second one golly I feel like I matured more actually after filming Beautiful Prison you know I think what I learned in between Corazon and then this movie was just script writing, and I learned that all from Eric. Because I remember when I gave him my first draft, and I think it, I don't even know if I wrote my first draft in Spanish or English, but whatever that worked out, I think it was I think it was just really bad English, and uh, I gave it to it him, yeah. and he's and he's like, "This is horrible," but I see what you're trying to do, and. And and him taking the next year of his life, um, and and just sitting down and we're working it and just and you know and that's what I'm saying the script was tight by the time we got to uh, producing, so I think just having uh, going over the script knowing it so well that when we got on set we knew exactly what was going to happen, you know and I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest thing I learned just that the script is everything it's everything, you know I think people just like oh I got my script you know I you know or I'll touch it up on set and stuff. No, man, you get that script tight, ready to go before you even shoot, you know, one shot off. You yep. get that thing going. And uh, if that works out, I think that's the biggest thing I learned was the value of the script, you know? Plus, like, when you do a movie – sorry, Jamie. When you do a movie um, and the script is broken, the actors know that. So when you're in a scene that's not – written well and like what Joel said like we'll work it out on set the actors will kind of work it out um, it doesn't get worked out like it ends up being that scene that either you have to live with and cringe through while you're sitting in a theater with 150 people 
or it becomes a scene that ends up being cut and you shouldn't have shot to begin with, you know? Mm-hmm. And you end up trying to find ways to fix it, by, to get rid of it and then fix that plot hole by, yeah. by whatever by whatever means necessary. So, yeah. You know, I, and I, because you're an independent filmmaker, I mean, all indie filmmakers out there will understand this, that, I mean, you, you have to have it together. You have to have a script w- without holes that you've worked on and worked out. Um, you, ha- you have to know what you're, what you're trying to get on the day. Is it a challenge to, in, in, in the midst of that preparation, is it a challenge to allow for spontaneity? Because there's such a life force in this movie, uh, and it has to be the result of, of some kind of discovery on the day as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that if your script is totally tight, you know every single word, you have it all memorized, you know everything, it makes it easier for that stuff to happen. Because you can just go, mm-hmm. oh, this does not conflict with anything that we had shot previously. This doesn't, story-wise, this works. You're bringing something amazing. Like a lot of uh, 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 Jerry's dialogue, Jerry's kind of bringing mm-hmm. a lot of the comedic element, was just us going, you know what you know what this thing consists of, brother. If you bring something funny, go with it, you know? And yeah, Jerry, Jerry was sort of the improver. Like he was the one who kind of like is looser than everyone else, you know, for sure. And I think you're, you um, know, if you have a good tight script, you can do that. The movie is surprising right till the very last frame. Uh, right. You might have an idea of how it's going to end, but uh, it's going to kind of defy those expectations. Was there ever a worry on your part or or you, Eric, <laughs> uh, not to end it like that? <laughs> there's, an, there's another producer, um, a Gabriel, and I remember emails and calls going, you sure you don't want to change this ending? You sure you don't want to change this ending? And I'm like, if I don't have this ending, I don't want to make this movie. Because this is the ending I've always had with the movie, and that's not changing. Uh, when I read the script the first time, and I had that thing where I said, like, who wants to watch this movie? And Joel's like, are you kidding me? I love this movie. Um, I was like, well, dude, like, this movie is just like, you can't sell this movie. Like, it's not marketable. It's way too weird. Like, no one's going to watch this movie. Like, the, the fact is, like, you can get people to watch this movie and like it. Like, I've had people who watched the movie after the premiere a guy came up to me almost like with tears in his eyes and he he said that that movie rocked him for like two days and it's hilarious to me because i just think of it as oh it's a beautiful prison and some people watch it and are actually like dude am i wasting my life i'm like maybe i don't know the i don't know you well enough to to answer that question (laughs) i just it sounds like you guys have such a like a great collaboration and bond uh there has to be another project down the road for you guys right there is a script that's been in the works for a while. Um, and when I say in the works, like in our heads. And uh, I don't know when we're going to get to making it, Jamie. Uh, since the movie's come out, I've, I've, you know, I've gotten some calls and some offers. and um, I, I, would, I would, before anything, I would make another movie with Eric before I, <laughs> before I made another movie with, with someone else, you know. Right now, I got, you know, I got four kids, Jamie. I got my littlest one who's two years old and I'm just kind of like enjoying life with them you know and now that beautiful prison is finally out after years like you watched the the first cut three years ago so just all this work that it's taken I'm just kind of chilling and I'm just kind of hanging out and I'm just kind of loving life and we'll see what happens in the future 
but to, to answer the question, yes, Eric and I will work again. Uh, so b- before before we uh, close off, uh, you know, I, I guess one of the big reasons why you've been following us so long, Joel. I mean, both of you guys actually, uh, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate it. You but you guys have been with us from the beginning. Uh, is because you you're know, awesome. we, we speak to <laughs> well, we try to speak well, to the independent filmmaker out there, and and so. I'm wanting some very kind of practical uh, advice, like three or four points that you have to share with them about something that they might not think about. Because watching that behind the scenes on the DVD, I mean, one of the things was feed your crew well. I mean, one of the one of the cast members even said, "Man, we eat like kings," and that's important. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might feel superficial, but it's crucial. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just say before I say any of that. This is the interview I was looking forward to. I made I made beautiful person oh, just so Jamie, Jamie can interview. That's it. That's the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like when your interviews are great, and I've been listening for man, I don't know how long, and Eric as well. How long you've been listening? To how long, Eric? Oh yeah, the the art of the score stuff. Like Elliot Goldenthal, that interview you did with him was, um, I love Elliot Goldenthal, and and yeah. I just I I'd never heard an interview with him. You know, it was just like John Debney and like all these guys you're getting. I'm just like, you know, uh, it's just incredible. You know what I mean? It's just incredible. I got to tell you, I, I, was, I was shocked when I got Goldenthal. Uh, oh, I sure. Did, because I, I'd heard very little from him as well. And I was like, well, I'm going to send out to every single composer I have a contact for and see where it goes. And so when he said yes, I was like, really? He said yes. <laughs> No idea. That's amazing. I mean, the Frida soundtrack for me is one of my favorites of all time. It literally, like, yeah, I can listen to that and meditate and cry at the same time. It's just absolutely incredible. I mean, there's something about mm-hmm. that guy. Mm. He's got, he's like got a pulse. That's what, that's what's so great about those composers. And like, that's why I, I love film composing so much. And when you guys do those like really geeky, nerdy. Um, Things where you like play the score and the guys like buzz in and say who it is and what the movie is. I'm just like, oh my gosh, these guys are on another level of nerd. You make me feel like sometimes like I've never even <laughs> like you guys make me feel sometimes like I've never seen a movie, you know, which is crazy. Um, and that's like, and thank like, you, man. thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome. And, and we say all that to bring up. I wanted to bring up the point, like. Uh, one thing that they need to think about is go to the, find the backlog of Movie Geeks United, and I'm not kidding you, because there's so much information there, so many independent filmmakers, their struggles, so many, so much stuff you can learn by just listening to the backlog of this show. Like I remember when I was filming my first movie, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm so burnt out. I would listen to that show, your show, and it would just get me going. I'm like, all right, let's do this, you know, and uh, and so you're gonna make you're I gonna mean, make me cry, man. I mean, I'm serious. No, but really... you don't understand. You know, man, I live in a world where I'm like, people are like, yeah, I love movies, and then I say something like, yeah, I've never seen that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I live in that world, where, and 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 so when I found you guys a show, and you guys are talking about movies that no one's seen, and and like, I'm just like, yes, this is this is it, this is home here, you know, and uh, just mm-hmm. yeah, I, I that's one of the things I would tell independent filmmakers is to yeah you know just to sort of like get get acquainted with your business like that's why like when i heard the first podcast from you guys i was like these guys know 
the business. And I think whatever it is, if you're if you're an accountant or you're a lawyer or whatever it is that you choose to do in your life, you need to know the history of your business and the people that came before you, right? Mm-hmm. That's a really important thing as an independent filmmaker is know the people who came before you who basically paved the way. You know, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what you guys do is like you remind me of the things that I forgot about or teach me about stuff that I don't know, you know. Well, that's yeah. something and that I would, really uh, that's something that really affects me too, because a lot of people that I talk to, um, especially in this kind of social media environment, they don't they they don't know any movies prior to when they were born. Uh, right. I mean, movies might as well not have existed prior to that time. <laughs> to that time. And, Very interesting. But, but yeah. there's also. There's also something so encouraging about, on the other hand, with social media and connecting to people as we have for the past 10 years, in that there's such a community of people just like you uh, out there. And it's so encouraging and inspiring. Uh, and so you try to speak to that. And you, you guys are, are part of that community, obviously. So other than listening to Movie Geeks United, what, what would you yeah. recommend for filmmakers, <laughs> practical advice? Yeah, another another really important one, I think, obviously, like I had mentioned it earlier, but when you crew up, make sure you don't put any rotten eggs in the crew. Um, it's really, really important that everybody believes in you and respects you. And if you have somebody that's got the ego, like, you got to get mm-hmm. rid of them. Like, they shouldn't be there. It, mm-hmm. Because it's just too dangerous, and, and it can get infected really quickly. And independent movies are so rushed. And they're so tense that you don't want to have to want to add any extra, you know, goo into it. And the other thing too is like, as the director, then when you bring your crew on or the producer, respect your crew and love them because they're helping you enforce your vision. Which means do not do longer than 12-hour days. And I don't mean 12 hours of shooting. You know, 12 hours from wrap. You know, from wrap to wrap. Like you know, you know, load into wrap, wrap out. And give them a 12-hour turnaround and give them two days of weekend. <laughs> if you can afford to do that, you are going to already be 50% of the way there. Like, do not rush right. the crew. Do not overwork them. I was on a – when I went – I actually went to school at Full Sail, Jamie, in Orlando. Because uh, I went there to learn how to shoot film. Yeah, good move. Um, <laughs> that cost me a lot of money. Uh, but I came out of there shooting film for a while. Uh, but – yeah, no, but when I was there, I worked on a student film, and we did two 20-hour days in a row with, like, impossible turnaround between the days. And driving home on the second day, I fell asleep at the wheel and woke up with a huge bang because I had run into a median on a highway, which popped my tire, cost me $1,000 to fix the alignment and the tires, etc. And I realized, like... That happened because I was mistreated as somebody who was trying to help somebody make their movie, you know? Yeah. And so do not allow that to happen to people. Treat them like Mm -hmm. they are your children. (laughs) You need to love the people around you and respect them. You know, that's a really big important thing, I think, for independent filmmakers. Yeah. I would, and I think as well as surround yourself with people who know films, you know? Not just filmmakers, but people who know films. Like, it was so easy to write. Uh, a script with Eric when I would go, well, you know that shot from The Descent where she comes up and she's all bloody? That's how I want it with Ben. And he's like, yes, of course, you know. 
or you know that lighting in Suspiria, yeah, I like that, or you know this and that or whatever, and, uh, and just to be able to understand what I what I got in my head and what I want to do, you know, as a director, it's great to have people next to me that understand, you know, these things that I want, you know, like I would say, hey, you know what, this ending's got to be as shocking as Sleepaway Camp 1, you know, it's got to be just like, what the flip, you know, and then they know what I'm talking about, you know, and that's, you know, and I want this thing to turn like, like from dusk till dawn where you're like, what the hell just happened? That's the, that's the stuff I, I you know, I, I think help, are helpful to, to me as a director when, when I work with other people who actually love film. Because there's a lot of people in this business because they want to be in the business, you know? Right. And I'm not saying that's, that's a bad thing, but I'm just saying, like, okay, then you're just an average person that wants to be in the business. You're just doing this. It's going to be a job for you. But when you find people who love films and they're in it because they love films, you're going to make an amazing film. Far too many people at the top that don't know anything about movies, <laughs> like right. nothing about. Yeah, them. right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, like another another really important note, and I mean, it should be obvious to people, I believe. But with independent filmmaking specifically, if you're not making a genre-heavy film, if you're making like a comedy or a drama, for example, like you know, with horrors, you can get away with like maybe not having the perfect quote-unquote cast or whatever. Because the horror is a bit of is a bit of the character, but when you have a movie like that, like eighty percent of the movie with an independent movie is cast, and you can't if you don't have the instincts for somebody who's going to bring truth to your frame, then it's going to be really difficult to make it, you know. Um, and I mean, we even worse than the edit, and it's even worse than the edit because you have to spend the next few months with the person you oh. don't like. And the thing is, like, you love the you might love the actor. Don't get me wrong. Like you might love the person of the actor and have a beer with them and enjoy them immensely. But like the performance is wrong. And if that happens, then you are going to spend the next several months in an editing room with that. And we didn't have that with beautiful prison. Thankfully we have a, we have a, a pretty big actor there on beautiful prison named Ernesto D'Alessio. He's really big in Mexico and it was crazy filming scenes with him because the crowds would just gather up, you know, Chente, the angry uh, brother-in-law there, that's who Ernesto is. Um, yeah. And he is, yeah, he's one of these guys in Mexico who, uh, it's funny because, like, you know, we're so close, really, to Mexico, obviously, and we don't, people here don't know who he is. But I did a screening of this film, I had mentioned, in Santa Monica, and half our audience was Mexican. And I said, who here knows who Ernesto D'Alessio is? And half the hands went up, you can guess who's. And half didn't. Wow. And that was just like I realized like this guy's a huge star there. I mean, he's been on telenovelas. He's a huge singer, um, a, bit of a, a bit of like an Enrique Iglesias type. And his mother, right, Joel, is one of the most yeah. famous women in Mexico. She sold yeah, fifty be like, million. She'd be albums. like Madonna here. Yeah, exactly. So our our audience should go to uh, is it beautifulprisonmovie.com? dot com. Yeah, that's the website. As well as, like, I mean, they could get the movie as easy as turning on their PS4 or their Xbox One. It's it's in their stores. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's on iTunes. It's on every uh, on-demand platform you can think of, man. We're really feel, we're feel blessed to have it just distributed everywhere. What is this? Your way home. 